We have several of our own away. We have two retreats taking place this weekend. Our newly marrieds are enjoying a time away at Tim's Ford and being encouraged by a study of the scriptures together and fellowship together. And also we have father-son combinations together as a result of an activity of the men's ministry. And they're over in Hickman County and they too are studying passages together and enjoying fellowship together and being out in the woods in that environment. God blesses us with a lot of opportunities. Let's be praying that those individuals have a safe trip home. Uh, we also need to be prayerful and thanksgiving to God for a wonderful, wonderful family day that he blessed us with last Sunday. To follow up on the theme of the family, we have a wonderful opportunity to get together beginning in just a couple of weeks, one night a week for those couples that want to participate in six weeks of what we're going to call fireproofing. It's the idea that we want to strengthen our marriages. We want to never leave a partner behind. We want to keep away the things that would harm our marriage. A perfect a uh, point to begin with this and thinking about this is the movie Fireproof that's in the theaters right now. I want to encourage you, if you haven't seen that, uh, do that. That is a tremendous, tremendous movie uh, for married couples to see. And then if you want to participate in the sixth week, we invite everyone to do that. Whether you're a, a guest with us today or a longtime member, we invite everyone to be a part of that. And uh, you can see that there's a display. It's to my left out in the foyer. Uh, there you can sign up. Be sure and do that. And then also know that we would love for you to invite your friends and your neighbors <clears throat> to also be a part of that follow-up study. We would like for it to accomplish two things, and we'd like for you to be praying about these two things sincerely and fervently. Let's pray that it actually does strengthen marriages. And number two, let's pray that we truly can reach out in our community and that we can introduce someone for the first time to Jesus Christ. Let's all be fervent in our prayers about this endeavor. It is a true story. It happened several years ago. A taxi cab driver actually gave the tip to the arrest of two fugitives who had been believed to had murdered a prison guard. You see, the story goes something like this. As a cab driver, they entered his cab, and there's nothing suspicious about the way they acted, the way they looked. Nothing seemed dangerous about them. They wanted a ride from Kentucky up to Ohio. It was a 115-mile cab ride. Although that's a little bit unusual, it's not unheard of. But what he said just didn't wash with the story was the way he said it. He said along the way, they, I asked them, hey, what are you guys doing that you need a cab fare all the way to, to uh, Ohio? And they said, oh, we're going to an Amway convention. And he said, you know, that whole 115-mile trip, they never tried to sell me their product or tried to get me to be an Amway representative. He said, I knew something was wrong. Now, any of us that have been in sales, we can identify with that. It doesn't matter if we're selling insurance or cars or books or makeup or what it is. Something's wrong when someone tells you they're in sales, but yet they don't try to sell. Friends, Christians are in sales. Notice as we're doing our daily Bible reading, notice how oftentimes you see the word persuade. As a matter of fact, that was the very word that we've had read in the text this morning. You see, at the very end of that text, he was begging that Lazarus would be able to come back from the dead and go back to his brothers because he said that they be persuaded. He wanted someone to tell and to convince his brothers that Jesus Christ was the way to live, to become a disciple of Jesus, a child of God. 
when we see the writings of Paul in Acts the 19th chapter, we see they went into the synagogues on a daily basis to reason and persuade individuals of the kingdom of heaven. You see, when we persuade, when we try to win people over to the side of Christ, the great wise man Solomon tells us in Proverbs, the 11th chapter, it's in verse 30, but it's the last half of the verse. He says, he that wins souls is wise. Think about that description, wins souls. Are you one this morning that really has a heart to win souls? Now notice this, I'm not asking you, are you a teacher? I'm not asking you, has God given you the ability to sit down one-on-one and and flip through the Scriptures and teach someone the Scriptures? I'm asking you, do you have a heart that says, I want to use the ability God has given me to win people to Jesus Christ? It's very much on my mind. It's very much a part of my life. It's what I strive to do on this earth. We have just had read for us a story that Some identify as a parable. I'd like for you to notice that Jesus oftentimes when teaching a parable said that he was going to teach a parable. He didn't say this was a parable. Man is the one that says this is a parable. As a matter of fact, we don't see a parable in the scriptures where any individual is named in the scriptures. The reason I want to emphasize that to you is I believe Jesus was saying, I want to teach you about something that's already taken place. And it's in that that we can learn a lot about afterlife before the final day of judgment. This is one of the few passages that we have recorded for us where we see a glimpse of what life may be like before the final day of judgment. And it's in this that we can learn a lot about what we need to be as godly and wise people. What do wise people do? Wise people strive to win souls. We need that kind of wisdom that can come only from God if we're going to succeed at that. So as we think about those with godly wisdom, they live in view of the next life. Did you notice there that in the first three verses, that's all it took for Jesus to record the life of two individuals. Let that sink in. Do you think your life could be condensed so far as on this earth to just one verse? Oh, no, no. Dave, you don't understand. I, 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 I hate to sound a little bit proud and arrogant, but I'm a pretty successful person. You wouldn't believe all the degrees I have. You wouldn't believe the house I live in. You wouldn't believe the ladder of success I've climbed. You wouldn't believe the people I've touched. You wouldn't believe the lives I've changed. You wouldn't believe the power I have when I go into my workplace. Listen, you could never condense my life down to one verse. Look back again to verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple. That's a nice wardrobe of his day, probably tailored made. And fine linen, that was the expensive cloth of the day, and fared sumptuously. Some of your translations probably actually say lived in luxury. That's it. It only took one verse to describe the rich and famous of that day. And then the poor man, it did take two verses to describe the poor man. Poor man was one that lost health. He was very sick. Dogs would come and lick his sores. Poor man had a hard time even having enough to eat. He just wished and hoped as he would go and beg outside this man's house that he would just get the crumbs, the leftovers each day from his table. Friends, what's the message here? Jesus is telling us that wise people, they live this life in view of the next life. You see, there was a problem here. 
The problem is the rich man seemed to live everything about this life. Look at the riches he had. Look at the provisions that he had. Look at the wardrobe that he had. And look at probably everything else that accompanied that. But you see, what he had not prepared for are these words as we go into 22. Notice the beggar died. We're all going to breathe our last breath. And there's a beautiful description. He was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. But then when we see that next sentence, the rich man also died and was buried in the very next phrase. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham and Lazarus afar off. You see, he wasn't ready to breathe that last breath. We make a terrible mistake whenever we start living as if this earth is the final. I want to give you an illustration that it it really doesn't even make sense. But it doesn't make sense whenever we live believing that something temporary is permanent. I want you to imagine that that you are on a cruise. You're on a seven-day cruise and you sit around the table with some of the same people at every meal. And as you begin to visit with another individual that's on that cruise, they say things that's really off the wall. And it takes you several days to even figure out where they're coming from. They talk about selling all their possessions so that they could be on this cruise. And you think, well, that's unusual. And, and they keep, continue to talk about things. Well, next month on this cruise, we hope to do this. And next year on this cruise, we hope to do this. And you're thinking to yourself, I, it's not making sense. What? Why do they continually talk as if they're going to be on this cruise all the time? And then finally one day, you just put it all out on the table and you say, how long do you think this cruise is? They say, oh, this is a forever cruise. You're like, didn't you read the paperwork? You just bought a seven-day cruise. What? Yeah, we're only on this boat for seven days, and we come back into port, and we go back home. No, 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 no. No, I was told that everything be provided, and I understood that I was living here, that this was home. No, you've really made a terrible mistake. Well, I don't have anywhere to go to. I, I thought that this was going to be the rest of my life here. No, you've made a terrible mistake. It's hard to imagine making that kind of mistake, isn't it? But think about those who live by the world's wisdom and not God's wisdom where they literally think this earth is the permanent place. And they never live in view of that to come. Satan is on a regular basis trying to lower our vision. He's trying to lower our sight. He's trying to make us short-sighted so that we will start living this life here as if this is it. This is everything. Now think about this as we wrap around this, the love for reaching the lost and trying to teach them about Jesus. Why would anyone do that? The wise do it because the wise realize that this earth is very temporary. And we need to help people lift their eyes and live with a vision that sees the next life. But second, we see that we need to help them lift their eyes and see that it's permanent. Look at verse 24 through 26. And notice the fact, I'm just going to pick out a phrase in 24. Notice where when the rich man sees Abraham and Lazarus, he says, send Lazarus. He wants just a drop of water off the fingertips of of Lazarus into the rich man's mouth. That's what the rich man wants because he's in these flames. He's in torment. Now keep in mind, this is before the final day of judgment. 
There's going to be a divide, the Scriptures teaches us here, before that final day that will be the ultimate divide. And so that's already taken place, but yet even at this point, this man doesn't like his point of arrival. He doesn't want to be here. He wants some comfort. And notice that phrase that's probably one of the strongest phrases that describes this, and it's in the middle of 26. As he says, beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from here, from there, pass to us. There was an old Jewish tradition that said that the difference when you die between being saved and lost was only a hand's breadth apart. A hand's breadth apart. And here Jesus reveals the error of that. And Jesus says, no, let me tell you, there's a big difference in dying as a faithful child of God, saved by the grace of God, and dying lost. There's a great gulf that everyone that is lost will want to cross, and no one can cross that gulf. Why, Abraham? Because it is fixed. No one is passing. It is a permanent separation that is taking place. Now, as we think about that, it reminds us of how we ought to be passionate in helping others see that there is a time to reach out and to make changes in our life, but we have to make sure that the, that time is taken advantage of here because as we look at this next slide, we recognize a third point, and those that are godly, they don't wait until it's too late. You see, this man had already entered the land where there was a separation, where that gulf was fixed, and he, he wanted Lazarus to pass to him. They cannot pass. He wanted probably to leave that place. You cannot leave that place. But isn't it interesting that in Hades, the realm of the dead, in torment here in this particular realm of the dead, isn't it interesting that in torment there was something taking place that every Christian and every church ought to have. Do you have it? God wants you to have it. I guess I'm safe to say everybody will one day have it. The godly, wise individuals will have this before they die and the foolish individuals will only have it after they die. And it's the heart of evangelism. This man that didn't care anything about serving Jesus or telling his brothers to serve God while he was on the earth, once he realized that he could not cross this gulf, he then began to beg for someone to be sent back to tell his brothers about God. He wanted a missionary. He wanted an evangelist. He wanted a neighbor that loved God to go across the street and tell his brothers. Or even in his mind, and we'll get to this in just a moment, it really wasn't so. But in his mind, even something more powerful, he wanted one to come back from the dead because if Lazarus came back from the dead, everybody would have to believe that. And of course that was a lie. But he was, his motives at that point were pure. He really, really, really wanted his brethren 
to know about God. You know, we, as we think about being wise and saving our own souls, save yourselves from this untoward generation, they were told in Acts 2, we have to realize also the fact that that's really selfish if that's our only concern. You see, you and I share this earth, as we look to this next slide, with over 6 billion people. Now, we're not talking about at this time everybody that's ever lived before us and everybody that will live after us because you and I really can't do as much to directly affect those people. But you and I have family, we have friends, we have co-workers, we have neighbors, and they're part of that six billion that they're going to face a time of a great divide. It's a fact. And our task ought to be, I want to help them lift their eyes and I want to help them see a place that is permanent because this earth isn't permanent. And I want them to see that permanent land and I want them to see it before it's too late. Are you my friend? My friend... I stand in judgment now, and I feel that you are to blame somehow. On earth I walked with you day by day, and never did you point the way. You lived in all truth and glory, but never did you tell the story. My knowledge then was very dim. You could have led me safe to him. Yes, though we lived together on earth, you never told me of the second birth. Now I stand lost, that's true. I called you friend and trusted you. I learned how that it is too late. You could have kept me from this fate. We walk by day, we talk by night, and yet you show me not the light. You knew I'd live, I'd never live on high. Yes, I called you friend in life and trusted you through joy and strife. And yet on coming to this end, I cannot now call you my friend. Do you really believe that there's an existence after you take your last breath? Do you really? Has it just become an habitual thought in your religion in that you don't really believe it. Friends, I believe that if we believe that, it's going to change the way we look at everybody we know. Jesus did not tell this story just to be intellectual. Oh, I want everybody to get a glimpse of what's going to happen after you take your last breath. He told this story to help us realize that everybody will want to be on the side of Abraham, on the side of Jesus, on the side of the Father. I want to ask you, will you take a post-it note today? And when you write five friends, they may be family members, they may be neighbors, It may be an acquaintance that you really believe that there's someone that could be reached with the good news. 
Now, it's not your burden that they must become a Christian. It's your burden to say, I love them. I'm going to pray for them every day. As we talk and we converse, I'm going to show them Jesus Christ living in me every day. I'm going to talk about Jesus. And I'm going to talk about life after death in conversation. Because I want to see in that if I can knock on the door of their heart and see if they will open up a conversation that will lead to a deeper study. And friends, you may be the one that's able to set up that study. And then we have many folks here that would love to sit down with you and your friend and study those scriptures together so that your friend can learn about that Savior and about that land that will take place just after our last breath and about that great and ultimate final day of judgment where we'll be delivered into the Father and we can hear the Father say, well done and welcome home as well as the Son. Now... As we close this lesson, I'd like for you to be reminded of just how powerful the Word that you're holding in your hand right now really is. You see, this man didn't really know the Scriptures that well, apparently. He didn't know the power of the Scriptures. He did know that he wanted his five brothers to be reached with salvation. And so he pled with Abraham, send back Lazarus, that beggar from the dead. And if one comes back from the dead, my brothers would definitely believe and listen to a man that has experienced such a miracle. And did you notice what the answer was? Jesus says in 30, No. Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they shall repent. And he says to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Those with godly wisdom, they recognize that the power of the Word is what converts people. It's what changes lives. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation. The Word of God is, is alive. It is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, Hebrews 4 teaches us. Do we really understand that what we're holding in our hands where we say, you know, I've got a friend, I've got a relative, I've got a neighbor, but I don't think they could ever change their life or I don't think I could ever say anything to change their life. You know what? You're probably right. But you know who could? God can, no doubt. And God's Word is living. It's powerful. It can change lives. Friends, if we can just get people to open the doors of their heart, and if we can just be the one that says, I can help you find someone that will sit down and they'll study something that can and will and is proven to be powerful and to be a change agent for good. It's changed the sinful nature of mankind into a new creation over and over and over. This morning, I want to ask you, are you wise? Hear this as if you were hearing it for the very first time. For God so loved the world. Six billion people plus. For God so loved the world. 
that he gave his only begotten son. God, how much do you love souls? I'd give my son for them. Would you give your child for the soul of another? How much do we love souls? How much do we think about eternity? This morning, let's lift our eyes. Let's stare into eternity. And let's realize that everything around us except this word and our souls are temporary. I'll say it again. Everything that is around us, everything that is around us right now is temporary except for this word and our souls. Am I ready for my soul to step over into the other side? This tells me how. Am I ready for my neighbors to step over to the other side? And can I say I've done all that I can do? This lesson isn't a guilt trip for any of us. This lesson is a reminder. And let's take it and live it well. If you're not saved, and we can help you this morning, you need to be baptized into Christ as a believer, willing to repent of sins and confess. Or maybe you've been saved and somewhere along the way you've lowered your vision and you've started living in the permanent, in the temporary world as if it's permanent and you want to lift your eyes and you want to repent of that and you want to come back to a God who loves you dearly and you want to spend an eternity with Him. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.